invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. In many ways, if you're allowed to have a favorite uh, book of the Bible, Philippians is mine. As many of you will know, it's a a short letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. It's uh, really a missionary thank you letter, thanking them for their care and support of him. It's uh, full of encouragement in the Lord, reminders again and again to rejoice in the Lord. And this, this evening, we're going to look just at two verses in chapter three, verses, uh, three verses, verses 12 through 14. But I'm going to read from verse 1 through verse 14, just to set the context. So this is the Word of God, Philippians chapter 3, reading verses 1 through 14. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And now our preaching text for this evening. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Having heard from God in his word, please join me in your hearts as we seek him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, would you indeed open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things out of your word. Give utterance to me, the preacher, but give an open spirit, directed ear to all of us to hear not the preacher, but to hear Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. One of you, any of you have ever heard of John Landy? John Landy was a world champion middle distance runner from Geelong, Australia, just about two hours away from where we uh, lived in Australia when we ministered there. John Landy has two bronze sculptures to commemorate his running. He was the second man in the world to break the four-minute mile, just 46 days after Roger Bannister became the first. Landy's time of 3.58 stood as a record for three years. Two months after Landy's record, he and Roger Bannister met in a mile race together for the first time, the Miracle Mile. As you can imagine, it was billed two who had broken the four-minute mile. And in this race, they became the first two men to both break the four-minute mile in one race. In the final turn, 
of the last lap, Landy was leading, and he looked back over his left shoulder for Roger Bannister. And at that exact same moment, Bannister passed him on the right and went on to win and a larger-than-life bronze statue was erected. It's a memory in that moment where he's looking back. And just the call of Paul, by the Holy Spirit, the call of God to us is run and don't look back. Run and don't look back. So before we look at the details of this call, I want to ask a question. I know a few of you a little bit, a few of you more, and a lot of you I don't know. But even if I did, I might still ask this question. Are you in the race? Because this is a passage about running a race. And you perhaps have heard from time to time, hopefully you've not done this, of imposters in a race. Maybe they never register. They just jump in at the, you know, at the last half mile and run across the finish line before anyone else and uh, come across in glory that soon turns to shame. But the Christian life is often depicted in the Word of God as a race. Are you in the race? Are you one who knows that your sins have been forgiven, your transgressions have been covered over by the work of Christ? Are you one who has said, I am a sinner, have mercy on me, Lord Jesus? And if you're not in the race, then my encouragement, my exhortation to you is repent and believe the gospel. Really, much of the sermon is not directed to you. Though it is by application, it's something if the Lord would be willing to bring you to himself and you would, be, would, would repent and turn, then you could look forward to putting these things into practice. Are you in the race? And for you who are in the race, what does God say to you? Well, he says, you're not yet perfect. Now, I hope that doesn't come as a surprise, a disappointing surprise to any of you. You are not yet perfect. If Paul wasn't, then you and I can be sure that we weren't, that we're not. And he, he, he describes that in three different not yets. You have not yet attained it. You're not there. I, I love it when the GPS tells me, you have arrived. I, I, I want to arrive. I want to attain. I want to be there. And the, and the GPS affirms me from time to time. But it means nothing, really. It means I've reached a destination. So for those of us who want a destination of heaven, you're not there yet. You haven't yet obtained it. You haven't yet become everything that you ought to be as a Christian, nor have I. As best I can recount, I've known Christ savingly for some 57 years. And I know that I'm not yet, I've not yet attained it. I do not yet have entire fellowship in Christ. Fellowship in his sufferings tasting fully the power of his resurrection, I don't yet know him perfectly. Paul knew that he didn't know Christ as well as he wanted to know Christ. And you and I, if we're in Christ, know that we don't know Christ as well as we want to know Christ. The more we know Christ, the more we realize how much more we need to learn. You've not yet attained it. You're not yet perfect. I know it's repeating the head the heading if you're following the outline, but that's okay. You're not yet complete. You're not yet perfect. It's a goal to strive for, though we won't reach it in this life. But the fact that we won't reach it in this life is never to be an excuse. You know people who have said, and some people know you who have said, in excusing a sin, well, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. No, nobody's perfect. 
but that never excuses our imperfections. We glory in the continuing perfecting work of Christ, and we long for it, even though we know that we're not there yet. It seems that some in Paul's day were teaching a Christian perfectionism, a perfectionism that some teach today. Back in the olden days, when I was a student at the RP Seminary, I wrote a paper on the Wesleyan doctrine of perfectionism. I had a particular interest in that, having seen the Lord reform my wife out of the Wesleyan church. So she learned Christ there. But she came, I think, in many ways to see God in a bigger way as he reformed her. But I was interested in that doctrine, so I did a a paper and submitted it to one of my classes for Wayne Steer. Many of you would know Dr. Steer. And on page two, I had a cartoon, a cartoon of two girls walking and talking. And one of them says to the other girl, Johnny and I are having a theological disagreement. He thinks he's perfect, and I don't. Well, that may be silly, but the reality is you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I want to be more of who I am in Christ. I want to be perfected. That was Paul's longing, and that's your longing if you're in Christ. You're not there yet, but you still make it your goal. The third, not yet. You've not yet apprehended it, or you've not yet made it your own. You've not yet taken hold of it. We read about a suspect being apprehended by the authorities. It's that same sense of the word here. You haven't yet completely taken hold. And really, Paul is using a Hebrew parallelism in Greek to have three ideas that really point to the same thing. You're not there yet. I haven't yet made it my own, but I press on to make it my own. Never did Paul make these not yets an excuse for his life, and they're not to be an excuse for your life, nor are they to be a discouragement to you. You you might think, I'm not yet, I'm not yet, I'm not yet. Doesn't this preacher have anything nice to say about me? Well, I don't know if I have anything nice to say about you or not, but that's what God tells us. And the more we realize that, really the blessing that it is. And yet, yet there is good news here in the midst of this struggle. You're not yet, you're not yet, you're not yet, yet you are made his own by Christ. If you are a Christian, Christ has made you his own. Nancy and I were dating when I was trying to win her heart. I wrote a song. I didn't really. I just stole a song from Roger Williams, or Andy Williams, from the movie Exodus, uh, the Exodus song. And I paraphrased it this way. And I used to sing it to her in public, and she was embarrassed, and yet she loved it. I'm not going to sing it to you, but the words went like this. This girl is mine. God gave this girl to me, this gracious, lovely girl to me, that I might marry her, honor and cherish her. This girl is mine. I had set my heart on making her my own. And far greater than any romantic relationship is the reality that Christ has made you. You individually and you together as his church, he has made you his own. He has taken hold. Paul strives to take hold of what Christ took hold for him, his complete salvation. That's why Paul had no confidence in the flesh, but he had confidence in Christ. Christ has made me his own. Christ has given me his righteousness. 
a righteousness that is by faith. You're not yet perfect, but let that spur you on, not discourage you. Let it spur you on to do one thing. And Paul tells us to do one thing in three statements, but they're all three statements of the same thing. What are the three things that are one thing that you're to do? You're to forget what's behind. Or as I titled the sermon, don't look back. I press on. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Forget what is behind. It's a present continuing sense. Forget on a continual basis forgiven sins. Forget on a continual basis accomplishments. Forget anything that keeps you looking back instead of striving forward. Some people always live in the past. Maybe some of you struggle with that. I, again, I don't know very many of you at all. But we all know people like that, always thinking about how it was. The good old days, which maybe weren't all that good, but they were old. And the call is, forget those things. Don't look back. Don't be thinking all the time how good it used to be and how hard it is now. Remember Lot's wife, we're told. We look back, and we wonder why. We read the account, and we think they would have been so delighted to be rescued from that place, a place that looks sort of like modern-day America and its vice and its misery. And as they fled, being told not to look back, we're told that she did. Was she thinking, what a, what a nice house we had there. What, what a good life. I know, I know not everybody was perfect. We had good neighbors. They cared about us. We looked out for each other. We don't know, but she looked back, and in a way that's not completely understandable, to me at least, God turned her into a pillar of salt. John Landy quipped about that incident. He said, Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt, but I'm the only one I know that was turned into bronze (laughs) for looking back. Don't look back. But you've got to understand the difference between that illustration and this text. The call is not that you would not look back so that some other Christian runner overtakes you and reaches the goal first. Because the Christian race is a race that we're in together. But the call to not look back is don't look back because it will distract you from running the race that you've been called to run. Don't look back at anything that will hinder you in the race. That's the first. Don't look back. The first of three that are one. The second, reach for what is ahead. The picture is straining. Uh, Some think Paul refers to a chariot race. He he might be. He doesn't tell us. Um, We don't know exactly the account, but it seems to me to be picturing a runner striving for the finish line. If any of you have read Roger Bannister's book, The Four-Minute Miles, he describes the incident where he did break the four-minute mile after several disappointments. And that, that image of straining, of reaching, of being completely exhausted and yet having the will to push on when he had no strength. He's stretching for the tape. He's reaching for the finish line. Is that a picture of you in your Christian life? We all know saints who perhaps have sort of advanced notice that they're going to glory before long, and we've seen, I'm sure, many of us, if not all of us, have observed Christian saints 
striving for that finish line? Their eyes fixed on Christ in the midst of sickness or infirmity or old age? But is that a picture of you now? If someone were to look at your life this past week, would they say, this person is reaching for something this morning? This person has a purpose. They're striving after something that's in front of them. That's to be the picture of your life in Christ. Forget what's behind. Reach for what is ahead. And yet, perhaps you say, I have no strength. I have no strength to strain in this way. You'll permit me to share just a bit of a personal illustration. Some of you know that July 5th of last year, I was riding my e-bike to work as I do every day that I can. And uh, the sidewalk and I had a disagreement. And I had a wreck. I called Nancy from the ambulance as they were taking me to the hospital and said, don't come to the hospital. I think they're just going to stitch up this cut above my eyebrow and send me home. And about an hour later, I called her and said, they're taking me to surgery. I'm going to lose my spleen. I might lose my kidney. And they cut me open, gutted me from and left me open for 24 hours while they decided whether or not my kidney was damaged beyond repair. And in the scale of world pain, the night of July 5th into July 6th was probably a 1. But on the scale of Ed pain, it was a 10. And I lay in that intensive care room, weak. Every movement hurt. I don't know that I slept, except that I woke up from time to time. I never had that pleasant experience of drifting off the sleep. And the thing that I did all night long was pray. And I don't want you to think I had this, this amazing prayer. I had three simple prayers that I prayed over and over, calling out to God to exist in three persons. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, and the pain didn't go away for several weeks. Father, deal with me that was all the strength that I had. And I don't say that in any way to boast, just to say in my weakness, I came to the Lord in His strength. And I knew in that painful night that God was with me. I didn't see a vision. I didn't hear a word. But I knew with a certainty that I was crying out those words, sometimes out loud, sometimes just in my mind. I could say whatever I wanted to say. I was isolated in an intensive care room all by myself for most of the night. And I knew that God was with me, hearing my prayers I, as, I, as I strove in my weakness to reach for what is ahead of God with me, his child. Forget what's behind. Reach for what's ahead with whatever measure of strength you have and press on toward the goal. Press on toward the goal. The word could be translated persecute or pester. Again, let me address you children. I suspect, I'm not asking for a show of hands. Parents might raise their hands here. I suspect that some of you children are really good at pestering. Maybe it's pestering your brother or your sister. Maybe it's pestering your mommy. Mommy, can I have a cookie? Please, mommy, I love your chocolate chip cookies. They're the best chocolate chip cookies in the world. Please, can I have one? No, honey, we're not going to have them until after dinner. Please, mommy, just, just one. It won't spoil my appetite. Please, mommy. And some of us parents have given in to that pestering. Kids are good at pestering. Well, we ought to be good at pestering, if you will, at reaching toward the goal. Every movement calculated 
toward the pursuit of Christ in the race marked out for us. Running the race to receive the prize. And what is the prize? It's faithful service to Christ, having received what Christ has secured. You see, we will come to the end of our race. Some of us, pretty early in the year, probably some of us this year. Maybe not in this room, only the Lord knows. I, my primary doctor told me when I went in for a checkup after I recovered a bit from my bike accident that if I'd gone home, laid down for a nap, I might have bled to death. And I didn't even feel that bad except my head hurt. So we don't know when our race will end, but it will end. And the goal is that upward prize of God in Jesus Christ. Not a goal that you can say, look what I did. Hey, personal record. I ran track in high school, and our coach on the, on the way home from an away meet and there in the locker room at home meet, he would call out with great gusto when there was a school record or a personal record. He knew the stats. And there was something to be have your name called out by the coach, a personal record or a new school record. It's not that kind of thing. You're going to be welcomed in the arms of God, your Father, on the, on the behalf of the work of Christ. But because of that, you're going to strive, you're going to strain, you're going to pester, you're going to press on, you're going to persecute. You're going to continue in the work that the Bible calls sanctification, taking hold of what Christ took hold of for you. But what does it mean? How does it look? What does it look like? Let me give you a few examples in regards to looking back and to not looking back. Let me say it the other way, to not looking back and in regards to looking back, because there are some things that as Christians we must look back to. I mentioned at the beginning that John Landy was remembered in two bronze sculptures, one for looking back and get, being overtaken in a race. The second was in a race just prior to the Melbourne Olympics in 1954. And a fellow runner who was behind Landy was tripped and catapulted ahead of Landy on the track and fell to the track. And Landy was leading the race, and he stopped. And he turned to Ron Clark, his fellow runner, and he lifted him back to his feet. And then Landy ran like the wind and won the race. Landy knew that looking back to help a fallen competitor was a reason worthy of looking back. And there are some things for us in Christ that are worthy, not only worthy of looking back to, to which we must never forget. And they all center around the person of God. Do not forget the God of your salvation, or your life will be in ruin. Do not forget the works of God. Psalm 77, I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. Parents, teach your children about the works of God in history, in the scripture, in the post-scripture history, in your life, in your family. Tell them about the works of God. And remember the law of God. For God warns his people, if you have, since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget. So do look back with regard to God and the things that God has done. But don't look back with regard to sin. It's not that sin doesn't matter. It does matter. And if you have sinned, confess it to God first and to the person against whom you have sinned. And forsake it. And press on. God says, I will remember your sin no more. So why would you remember it? Why would you dwell on it? 
I'm fairly convinced, I haven't done a, a detailed study, but I'm fairly convinced that if we dwell on sin in the past, we'll commit sin in the future. Maybe the same sin or very similar sin. But also the sin of others. I suspect some of you, some of us, have struggled with people who've sinned against us. At forgetting that sin and pressing on. Now, you need to call them to repentance. Your brother sins against you, go to your brother, seek to win him. But as it's repented and confessed and forgiven, press on. Many of us know those hard relationships where sin has been committed and has been forgiven, but it's hard to rebuild and restore. We'll press on toward that. Work at that restoration that God calls you to. Don't look back with regard to sin. Don't look back with regard to your pre-Christian life. Bill Isaacs was 70 when he came to Christ in the church I pastored in Evansville, Indiana, he and his wife. And he used to say to me, why didn't I become a Christian sooner? Why didn't I raise my children in Christ? And I would just say to him, Bill, you can't go back. Rejoice that you're in Christ and pray for your children. Ask God that he would be a God to you, to your children as he has become a God to you. We saw his daughter come to faith in Christ and 10 years after we left Evansville, went back for a visit and she came to me Thank you for coming to Evansville and preaching the gospel. And Bill died at age 75 with five years in Christ. And on his deathbed, a few hours before his death, beside him, he said, tell him, Ed. Tell him about Jesus. Told him about Jesus. I don't know if they've ever come to faith. But he knew that Christ had saved him. He'd learned not to look back at his pre-Christian life. Why didn't I? but to look forward to the Christ that he loved, that he wanted his family to love, and say to me and to his granddaughters, listen to him, tell him about Jesus. Forget your pre-Christian life. Forget your accomplishments. Anything that you've done, whether it's done for the sake of Christ or done for your own glory, it doesn't matter anymore. Press on. Press on. Forget what is behind. Don't get bogged down in what was, but pursue what is. But you might say, I, I want to press on. I try to press on, but the past keeps intruding into the present. The things that have happened in the past that I want to forget, I just can't. I can't help but think about them. They continue to stare me in the face. What do you do then? Well, this isn't, this isn't an absolute cover all the basis answer, but let me give you four thoughts about how to put this into practice, especially when it's hard. When it's easy, you don't need encouragement to put it into practice. You just need encouragement to say, keep putting it into practice. Well, the first of these is very profound. Maybe the most profound thing you'll have heard today. The things that are behind are behind. The past is the past. And you and I have no power to change it whatsoever. Science fiction, time travel, notwithstanding, what is behind is behind. And you can't change it. The good that's behind, don't glory in it. The bad that's behind, you, you can't do anything about it. The things that are behind are behind. Second, believe that you are called to do this by God. Always believing that God calls us to do something, whatever the application is, is a key step. Because if God calls you to do something, he will strengthen you to do it. If, if any of you left tonight 
and said, I'm going to really strive to not look back because Ed Blackwood said I should. Don't tell me if you do. But if you leave this room saying, I'm going to strive to press on and not look back because Jesus told me to do it, because God calls me to do it on a continual basis, then I will rejoice with you. And it might in practice look something like this. Lord Jesus, in spite of, and then you fill in the blank of whatever that past thing that keeps trying to intrude on your presence. I'm having a hard time forgetting that, Lord. I want to believe that you're reigning as king even over that and over its present impacts in my life. I want to believe that you will work this for my good according to your promise. I do believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. Believe that you're called by God. Thirdly, we can't control what we think about. Philippians 4, 4 to 8 is another passage for another sermon for another time. But it is, I think, in this context, something to hold on to. Remember, Paul wrote this as one letter. What sort of things are you to think about? The implication of an instruction like that is that you have some control over what you think about. You've probably all had the experience of a song in your head that you want to get rid of. I'm not going to suggest a song because then it will be in your head and you'll want to get rid of it. But what do you do? Well, you think of something else. I often think of psalms because I've sung them all my life, and many of them come to mind easily. And I find eventually if I sing psalms enough, that silly song that I wanted to get rid of out of my mind is out of my mind. And God says if you think about the right things enough, then the things that you don't want to think about that keep intruding into your mind can be put away, and you can think about the things that are right. So you can control what you think about. And then lastly, consider all of this in the context of gospel hope. Gospel hope. We're not all we want to be in Christ. We're not yet perfect. We haven't yet attained it. We haven't yet made it our own. But we have been made his own by Christ. And so in the power of the hope of the gospel, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus, Paul writes in the first few verses of this book. Jesus will help you do what he commands you to do. Jesus will help you do what he commands you. Those who are in Christ can put away what is behind and can strive with all of the strength that you have for the pursuit of Christ. And so I urge you, come. Set aside whatever's holding your back. You're not perfect yet. I'm not perfect yet. But let's strive. Let's stretch. Let's make every possible effort with confidence not in our flesh, but in the power of the resurrection of Christ to run toward Christ and not look back. Please join me in your hearts as I lead us in prayer that God would do this. Our great God in heaven and our Father, we come to you as weak children. And we need your help. We want to believe you. We want to believe you that we can forget what's behind and that we must forget what's behind. That Christ has covered all the bad that's been behind, whether done by us to others or by others to us. And that there can be restoration and reconciliation and advancement in the cause of Christ. And Lord, you know these your saints. You know every detail of their lives. You know which of them tomorrow will face difficulties that will want them to stop running. That will urge them to look back in ways that they shouldn't.
And so help them. Lord Jesus, remind them of your promise to continue your work, to be with them always, even to the very end of the age. And use these saints together as brothers and sisters in the race to encourage one another each day to run and not look back. Lord, bless the work of this congregation. Bless them in their ministry of the gospel. Would you save souls through the proclaiming of the gospel by the saints in this church? Would you save souls by the preacher that you would put in this pulpit week after week? And Lord, as they seek to make out a call to a pastor, would you save souls through the preaching and the evangelism of that man, your choice? And Lord, would you bless these children? Would you cause them to grow up pursuing Christ, not their own desires, not the chocolate chip cookies that they think would satisfy them above all else, but pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. Might he be to them all they have. And Lord, would you continue the work that you've begun in us until you bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ when we will have finished the race.